And now. And now. It's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal. Because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees. And Aaron Savage. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. I'm your co-host, Aaron Savage. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Jason Voorhees. Yeah, man. And we've got another great show for you tonight. Uh, a lot of things going on in the world of sports. Always things going on in the world of music. Um, Jay, how about that uh, Cam Newton acquisition by the Pats? Why don't we start with that? Uh, yeah, man. I'm I, uh, not going to lie. I've actually uh, kind of been expecting it and uh, been waiting for it to happen. And I, I, I didn't think it would take this long. I was kind of shocked. But that's kind of how the uh, – that's that's actually been the Patriots' mo. They always uh, they wait in the weeds, and then they always swoop in, and you know they always get players that you know are you know low risk, high reward. I mean, and I mean this guy Cam Newton. I mean, when he's healthy, he's a stud, and uh, it's definitely uh, it definitely makes them uh, you know a player again, and, and you know. Obviously, losing Tom Brady, uh, you know, everyone thought, oh, you know, the Patriots are going to be horrible. But, you know, you know where I stand on that. I've always said that, you know, obviously the brains behind it is, uh, you know, Bill Belichick. And I I really, you know, I didn't think they were going to go into this season with Brian Hoyer as a starting quarterback or, you know, uh, the the other guy, I forget his name, but. Uh, how about you? What, what, what's your, uh, what's your, well, I was going to ask, did you really see this coming? You actually saw the Pat signing it? I, I did. I, 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 I didn't think they were going to, like I said, I mean, he's been out there this whole time. I mean, well, it, that's what surprised me. And I read an interesting take. I, I don't remember where I read it, but there was one take saying, you know, if teams had known that the Patriots were going to swoop in and get him he would have been signed long ago and probably for a lot more money. So I, I didn't see it coming. I honestly didn't. Um, I guess, I guess hindsight being 2020 and him having been hanging out there as a free agent, as long as he was, I guess hindsight. Yeah. I saw it coming in the sense that, well, nobody else picked him up. So it makes sense that the Pats would, but I'm surprised he didn't get picked up sooner. And Patriots are getting him for a song. I mean, but <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I think this is, this is a great acquisition for both parties. You know, I, one thing I saw an interesting tweet from Richard Sir, Richard Sherman. He called it an absolute joke that, you know, a marquee player like Cam Newton would sign, you know, for such a cheap deal when you got, you know, mediocre quarterbacks making $15, $20 million a year. And I get that. That being said, nobody put a gun to Cam Newton's head and said, hey, sign this contract. Bottom line is nobody else had picked him up. Now it's a situation where he can go in here, play on this $7 million deal or whatever it was, have a big year, reestablish himself as, you know, an MVP caliber player. He could parlay that into a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. You know, he's 31 years old. You know, he's going into uh, a system where he can thrive in Bill Belichick's system. Bill Belichick has been known, you know, Randy Moss. Look at the success he had when he brought in Randy Moss. I mean, granted, there's been some duds, the Antonio Brown, 
But you know what? When you won six Super Bowls, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Nobody remembers that Belichick brought in uh, Antonio Brown and didn't pan out. Because for the most part, his moves have. And uh, if this one doesn't pan out, it's $7 million. Not a huge investment in the grand scheme of things. And uh, it's a transitional year. They just lost Brady. Belichick's going to get the benefit of the doubt, I think, regardless here. But it's a great signing for the Pats because you can catch lightning in a bottle and, and beyond. I mean, Cam Newton is young enough to reestablish himself, like I said, as an elite player. Going to an elite coach in an elite system. And, like, we were talking off the air before. They still have some weapons. I mean, Edelman's still there. They have Mohamed Sanu. Um, so I, I'm surprised, but not surprised. And I think it's a big signing for both as a Dolphins fan. I'm not thrilled with it, but at the same time, you know, this is a transitional year for Miami. I'm not expecting that they're going to be, I think they could be a playoff team this year because they've made such drastic improvements, but I think with the Dolphins, it's more of a long-term thing here. So, but it's a little bit disappointing, I guess, because it definitely, the Dolphins had a clear path to the division, I think prior to this, um, but I'm not, I can't be surprised. The Pats are always going to be the Pats. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like I said, seven and a half million. And, it, you know, it's incentive laden as well. Yep. Um, like I said, it's a, definitely an absolute steal. And like you said, it's a win, you know, win-win for both parties. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera, uh, who knows Cam Newton very well, uh, he's on the record saying that he thinks he's ready to bust out. And I, I have no reason to doubt, you know, Ron Rivera. Because yeah, yeah. if anybody knows Cam Newton, it, it is Ron Rivera. And, you know, let, let's not also forget that, you know, during Cam Newton's first six seasons in the NFL, he only missed three games. Now, obviously, I, I, I get it. He's older. He's 31. But I, I, I think, you know, you got to look at, you know, his whole career. You can't just look at it as like his last two seasons. Now, yes. The, the last two years have, have, you know, he's been definitely injury prone. But if you look at his career stats, honestly, uh, you know, his his career is actually kind of like an arc. Like every other year, if you look at his stats, uh, I'm just going to give you an example. In 2013, he was 12 and four. And, uh, you know, he had 24 touchdowns and only 13 interceptions. Then the set. Uh, you know, so he had a losing season. Then, of course, 2015, we all know what happened that year. He went 15-1, yeah. and he threw for almost 4,000 yards, and that was the year he almost ran for 1,000 yards as well. And yeah. then the year after that, he went 6-8 and eight again. And then 2017, he, he's back to 11-5 and five and, you know, uh, you know, really good touchdown-to-interception ratio. And, of course, 18, he, he was hurt, and then last year he's hurt. Yeah, but so, you know what, dude, 2018, he actually started 14 games. Well, yeah. I was actually going to say, to your original point, he's been a model of durability. 2011, yeah. 16 games. 2012, 16 games. 2013, It was only games. last year that he... he yeah, he, 2014, 14 games. 2015, 16 games. 2016, 15 games. 2017, 16 games. 2018, 14 games. So it was just last year. You know, prior yeah. to that, he never started less than 14 games in a season. Uh, his first yeah. three seasons, he never missed a game. Uh, so, I mean, he's not that old. 31 is young. Um, look, man, I don't want to be the guy to say the Patriots pulled a coup off here, but it looks like they may have. <laughs> I, 
I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I really think, you know, and, I, and I, let, let's be real. You know, obviously, you're, you're a Dolphins fan. I'm an Eagles fan. So, it affects you more than it does me. But, you know, I still respect the Patriots. And, you know, I will never count them out regardless of who the quarterback is if they have Bill Belichick. And now you're going to tell me that they're going to get a former MVP, somebody that's been to the Super Bowl with, you know, Cam Newton's talent level. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I would not be shocked if they are in the AFC championship game again. I wouldn't. I'm not betting against, against the Pat Patriots Mahomes. ever. <laughs> I mean, and, that, and that's my point. So I think this signing is huge. And I think it, you know, it, it affects, you know, the NFL, you know, just like, you know, Obviously, well, it affects the power balance of the entire AFC. Without obviously the the you know the betting uh, the betting uh, people they they feel that this helped the Patriots because it changed you know their odds just changed dramatically. So obviously you know it's you know like you said, is it a coup? I would I would have to say yeah. I mean, unless the guy gets hurt week one. But, but even if he does, like I said, with Bill Belichick, this is really no risk, high reward, because financially the risk is minimal. But even if there was more of a financial investment, the guy's won six Super Bowls. He's at a point in his career he can do whatever he wants with no ramifications. Nobody's going to bat an eye if he makes a mistake or there's an acquisition that turns out to be a dud. He's earned that. So there's this is, you know, it's a, it's a can-do-no-wrong situation the way I look at it, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that. Um, obviously there's a lot going on still in sports with the coronavirus, but before we move on to that, though, I wanted to, one thing on the Cam Newton thing, I I really just can't stand the fact that Richard Sherman had to be the one guy with the negative tweet. (laughs) Well, Richard Sherman, no offense, but you know, I think Cam Newton wants to win. Richard Sherman, obviously he's all about himself. I I, I, I was shocked at it. I mean, it's an opportunity for him to win but also to make big money. He's talking about the contracts disgusting. Like I said, nobody signed him. He's out there. He didn't, nobody put a gun to his head, put a put pen to the paper. He knows that this is an opportunity that, like you said, to win and to parlay it into possibly a huge contract. He's betting on himself. He's young enough to do that. Yeah, you know? I think He's Rich- got the talent to do it. And at my point being is I saw so many positive tweets from former teammates, from other stars in the league, like Odell Beckham Jr., congratulating him and saying he's earned it and he's worked hard. Ah, that's all. I was my little my little rant about Richard Sherman. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you because I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not a fan of Richard Sherman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, though, um, coronavirus, it's still obviously rearing its ugly head over sports. MLB's finally, as we talked about last week, getting their season together, unless it gets derailed, which is always a possibility. Um, you know, players are supposed to report to camp this week. We're recording right now on Tuesday. So by the time you guys listen to this podcast on Thursday, players will have reported on Wednesday. Uh, first official workouts are to be this Friday, uh, which would be July 3rd. So that'd be the first day of official workouts. But here we are. I mean, we're just getting things started. We already had Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross on the Nationals opt out. Um, we had uh, Mike Leak opt out. And um, the latest and perhaps with the biggest story was Ian Desmond uh, opted out. And I got to be honest with you. I really, really think I have a newfound respect for Ian Desmond just because his statement was so moving. 
it was very, very moving. Uh, with a pregnant wife and four young children who have lots of questions about what's going on in the world, home is where I need to be right now. Desmond's Instagram post read, home for my wife, Chelsea, home to help, home to guide, home to answer my older three boys' questions about coronavirus and civil rights and life, home to be their dad. I mean, talk about getting it. I mean, sometimes baseball and sports aren't the most important things. Family is the most important thing, you know, and certain things are just bigger than the game. And I was very moved by it with everything going on right now. Obviously, he opted out. He mentioned health concerns. The COVID-19 pandemic has made this a baseball season that I'm not willing to risk. I'm not comfortable taking that risk, he wrote. Uh, so obviously, that's a part of it. But also with everything else going on, um, he mentioned labor wars, cheating scandals, clubhouse homophobia, racism, and sexism contributed to his decision. Uh, so this seems like a guy that's got, that really gets it. Uh, for more stuff he posted. He said, a few weeks ago, I told the social media world a little bit about me that I never talk about. I started it by saying what, why that was. I don't like sadness and anger. I found an even keel allowed me to move through my days with more ease than emotion did. So I kept it inside. But that comes at an internal cost, and I could no longer keep a lid on what I was feeling. The image of Officer Derek Chauvin's knee on the neck of George Floyd, the gruesome murder of a black man in the street at the hands of a police officer, broke my coping mechanism. Suppressing my emotions became impossible. In the days since I began sharing my thoughts and experiences as a biracial man in America, I've received many requests to elaborate. But it's hard to know where to begin. And in truth, there's a lot on my mind. Here's some of it. And then obviously the stuff I had mentioned. Um, I'm just very moved by it. I mean, he's he's given up $5.5 million, which I guess when you have as much millions as some of these guys do, somebody will say, oh, what's that? It's a drop in the bucket. But it's still $5.5 million. I mean... You're talking about a union that just fought with the league for the last three months about pay. So obviously it's something and he's willing to walk away from it, not just for the safety concerns, but for the concerns about what's right uh, and to be a father. And uh, I, I have a newfound respect for him. So you know, that's that's what I wanted to say about Ian Desmond. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, how can you not respect that? I mean, that's so, you know, candid and, you know, sincere and. You know, that's somebody that, like, like you said, gets it. I mean, he's doing, you know, he's doing the right thing for his family and, and, you know, standing up for, you know, what he, he believes is right. And, uh, I mean, hats off to him. Uh, yeah. I agree. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, in other news, kind of on that front, did you hear, uh, Netflix is in production for a uh, series based on Colin Kaepernick's high school career. Yeah, I did see um, that. Yeah, uh, it's going to be directed by Oscar-nominated director Ava DuVernay. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, this person also directed... It was a great series I saw on Netflix, When They See Us. It was about the Central Park Five. Um, I guess it was back in 89, the, the five kids that were accused of raping the jogger in Central Park. They spent time in prison. Uh, they were later acquitted of all the crimes. A little too little, too late. Found not guilty. Uh, but they directed that. Um, they're going to be doing this. Um, the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback, who has become the face of activism among professional athletes, is working with Oscar-nominated director Ava DuVernay on a six-episode scripted series titled Colin in Black and White. The show will focus on Kaepernick's high school life and his experiences as a black kid adopted into a white family. Kaepernick is the executive producer and will narrate the series. 
too often we see race and black stories portrayed through a white lens, Kaepernick said in a press release for Vanity Fair. We seek to give new perspective on the differing realities that black people face. We explore the racial conflicts I face as an adopted black man in a white community during my high school years. It's an honor to bring these stories to life in collaboration with Ava for the world to see. Um, it goes on, Kaepernick has effectively been blackballed from the NFL since he began protesting police brutality and social injustice by taking a knee during the national anthem. With his act of protest, Colin Kaepernick ignited a national conversation about race and justice with far-reaching consequences for football, culture, and for him personally, DuVernay said. Colin's story has much to say about identity, sports, and the enduring spirit of protest and resilience. I couldn't be happier than to tell his story with the team at Netflix. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. And it kind of, uh, we talked about this on the show previously. Like the guy or not, Colin, Colin Kaepernick has really created change. He really has. Like I said, I, um, I, I understood in the beginning some people that might, might have thought that kneeling during the national anthem was not the appropriate time to do it. Uh, the reason being because people have died for that flag. And as I said previously, when I thought more about it, people also died to give you the right to protest. And sometimes a protest needs to make you uncomfortable to be effective. Um, and looking back on it, what, what could have been more effective than the national conversation that Colin Kaepernick single-handedly created? Uh, I mean, working its way up to the president of the United States and to every single one of us in this country who don't even watch football. People that never otherwise would have heard of this guy. Uh, now there's a Netflix series and we're talking about George Floyd. And all of a sudden, you know, three, four years later, since Kaepernick started with the kneeling, everybody, including, you know, the head honchos at the NFL, are supporting kneeling during the national anthem as a form of protest. So, you know, that's what Ian Desmond and, and this going on this week. Wow. It's, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, just not you're I mean, you're like we said, it, it's just it's been a never ending season, uh, season, never ending year so far for everybody in America, in the world. 2020. Yeah, with everything going on, it's so, so much. So much. Uh, anyway, what do you think? We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, hit everybody up with our picks of the week. Sounds good. All right. We'll be back after this. And we're back. All right. Right now, folks, we're going to get started with our pick of the week. Uh, I'm actually going to go first. Um, all right, Jay. So my pick of the week this week um, is by a band called Stone Gods. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this band, um, but they released an album, uh, in 2008 called Silver Spoons and Broken Bones. Uh, it was the only album they released. Um, the band consisted of Richie Edwards, who was the, the guitar tech for the darkness in prior years. Uh, Stone Gods formed when the darkness at the time broke up. It turned out to be a a hiatus because they ended up reforming I guess four years later, but I, I, after the darkness's second album, uh, one way ticket, Justin Hawkins, I know he had a real cocaine problem. Um, they ended up, he ended up leaving the band. They broke up. Um, so Dan Hawkins, his brother, the lead guitarist of the darkness and Ed Graham, the darkness's drummer, uh, regrouped with, uh, Richie Edwards, who, like I said, had been the darkness's guitar tech. Um, he ended up taking over the bass guitar duties for Frankie Poulin of the darkness after he had previously left the band. So again, Richie Edwards was the guitar tech of the darkness 
became their bass player. Darkness breaks up. The rest of the guys, Dan, uh, Dan Hawkins, the guitar player, and Ed Graham, the drummer, reform with Richie Edwards moving from bass guitar to lead vocals. They recruited Toby McFarlane to play the bass for a band called Stone Gods. They released one album, Silver Spoons and Broken Bones. Now, um, for those of you that may only be familiar with The Darkness and maybe don't like them or do, I know they have a very distinct sound. You either love it or hate it because Justin Hawkins sings in that high falsetto uh, and they're very British humor, cheeky. So some people might not get it, but if you don't like The Darkness, that doesn't mean you're not going to like Stone Gods. Uh, Stone Gods is balls to the wall, straight ahead, rock and roll. Um, it's like ACDC meets Thin, Liz- Thin Lizzy to me. Um, Richie Edwards kind of kind of has that raspy ACD-ish voice, ACDC-ish voice. Um, it's straightforward chords, you know, pounding guitar solos. Um, opening track, Burn the Witch, was a real kick-ass heavy metal tune. But pretty much every single song on this album was great. Uh, Start of Something was a single. There was a video released. You can look it up on YouTube. Again, the band is called Stone Gods. Uh, you can check out the song Start of Something on YouTube. I know there's a video for that one. Um, again, they released the one album, Silver, Spoon, Sil- Silver Spoons and Broken Bones, in 2008. Um, that's my pick of the week. If you like the darkness, you're going to love Stone Gods. If you don't like the darkness, you're still going to love Stone Gods. If you like ACDC, Thin Lizzy, Guns N' Roses, Bands like that, they're going to love Stone Gods. They have a very raw sound. There's no um, keyboards. It's not overproduced. It's like two guitars, bass, drums, and slamming vocals. Uh, So check it out. Stone Gods, Silver Spoons, and Broken Bones. That's my pick of the week. What do you got for us, Jay? That's an awesome pick of the week. Thank you, brother. I always try to find something that I think people haven't heard. (laughs) (laughs) So far, you've done... Just that with with all of your picks, because I think, you know, uh, every one of them has been, you know, on point. So I appreciate it, man. What do you got for us? Well, uh, I real quick, uh, I had mentioned on uh, the previous show that my picks of the week have had a little bit of a backstory to them. So, yes, I uh, I figured now would be a good time to quickly bring up the reason why I've been picking these certain albums. So basically, uh, Aaron and I, when we were growing up, uh, way back when, uh, when, when I, when we first got our licenses, I had a red truck and, uh, basically, uh, every album that I've been picking was on that playlist during that time period. CDs that we were cranking in the red truck. Exactly. (laughs) So. Uh, you know, and you were starting to figure something out last week when you said, you know, how, what am I in your back pocket? So, <laughs> well, it, it yeah, kind of was. You get but... my good graces. You're picking all these albums <laughs> that I love. Exactly. Yeah. So this, this week will continue with that trend. Uh, so my pick of the week is actually Dog Eat Dog. Oh, which shit. Was <laughs> released <laughs> in 1992 by the band Warren. Uh, obviously pretty much everybody's heard of Warren, uh, but it was, you know, it was the basic, uh, the classic lineup, Janie Lane on vocals, Joey Allen on guitar, Eric Turner on guitar, Jerry Dixon on bass and Steven Sweet on drums. They also had Scott Warren on keyboards. Uh, basically, uh, the big thing about this album was that obviously it didn't 
receive the same amount of commercial success that the predecessors, uh, Cherry Pie and uh, I'm sorry, Dirty Rotten, Filthy, yeah, Dirty Stinkin Rotten, Filthy Stinkin Rich yep. did. However, uh, m- most music critics will agree that this was actually their best album overall, if you look at every, every song on the album. Uh, I kind of agree with that. Um, phenomenal record. Uh, you know, they had four, four uh, singles on the album released, uh, Machine Gun, The Bitter Pill, Hole in My Wall, and Inside Out. Um, interesting fact about this album, uh, actually, it was uh, a kind of uh, realization that Janie Lane came to uh, right, uh, it was, I believe it was right after they had released this album. I think it was in 92. Uh, he was in the studio uh, in, uh, where was the studio? I'm looking it up right now. California. Um, and he noticed a poster that used to be on the wall in the foyer of Warren. Oh, uh, when he went to the record company's office. Yes, yes. it was released. It, it was replaced by a poster of Alice in Chains. Yep. The writing and, was on the wall. That warrant and, was well, out of their good. Yeah, grace. that was his quote. He actually <laughs> yeah. quote. He quote. He, he he had a quote, and it basically said the proverbial writing was on the wall. Yeah, basically meaning that that was the end of glam metal, and uh, you know, uh, it was uh, you know, getting getting replaced with uh, you know, the alternative grunge uh, scene. So, um, but. Definitely a kick-ass album. I mean, top to bottom, like I said, 12 tracks. I don't think there's one bad track on it. Uh, my personal favorites on the album are actually Andy Warhol Was Right and All My Bridges Are Burning, which is actually about addiction. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we know about Jeannie Lean's passing and his uh, battle with addiction and alcohol, so... That song uh, truly was written from his heart, and uh, unfortunately, it was kind of a precursor to what happened. But excellent record, highly recommend it, and that's my pick of the week. Awesome, man! You mind if I add a couple points about your pick? No, I love fine. that album. Fine, uh, Doggy Dog, my favorite Warren album. Um, my personal favorite tracks on there are, are "All My Bridges Are Burning" and also "Quicksand." unbelievable track and sad Teresa uh which is the final track on the album um and for those of you that don't know sad Teresa was actually written before the release of their first album dirty rotten filthy stinking rich and it wasn't released until it was released on the doggy dog album so you can actually find on youtube videos of warrant performing sad Teresa back in like 87 at gazari's club on the strip um you know, five years before it saw release on Dog Eat Dog. So that's a cool little tidbit about that album, something you could check out. Uh, dude, Jay, another one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. Definitely my favorite Warren album. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think it's the best. I mean, I oh, know it did- it's, it's the heaviest, but still sounds like Warren. But also, it, it, it's like a step forward from where they went on Cherry Pie. In other words, I like Dirty Rotten, Filthy Stingin' Rich, but it's by far their worst album. It's definitely like more married to all the stereotypes of glam. Uh, the songwriting wasn't that great outside of the hits. It was kind of generic. Not that that's a criticism because it was a good album, but compared to what they put out after that, like Cherry Pie was a huge leap forward 
from Dirty Rotten, Filthy Stinking Rich songwriting wise. If you take the song Cherry Pie off of the Cherry Pie album, it's a masterpiece of a record. And that's not to say that Cherry Pie is not a good song. It's a fun song, but it just became a stereotype. Like people associated Warrant with the song Cherry Pie, which is, oh my God, such an unfortunate thing because they're missing the entire point of Warrant. Every song on Cherry Pie is unbelievable. Great lyrics, great songwriting, great melodies. Musicianship across the board is great. Uncle Tom's Cabin is one of the greatest songs of the era. It's great storytelling. That song alone was such a huge step up for, for uh, Janie Lane and his songwriting. Um, so again, I mean, it was almost like the record company when, when uh, well, I know for a fact that Warren initially presented the Cherry Pie album to the record company without the song Cherry Pie, and they wanted to name that record Uncle Tom's Cabin. And the record company said, oh, well, you need a hit. You need something like the first album because they wanted to follow that cookie cutter formula. That was like, obviously, all the glam bands at the time were starting to have to follow. You know, the, you know, you put out the party anthem and then you put out the ballad, whatever. So the record company said, we want another track. Janie Lane supposedly wrote Cherry Pie in 10 minutes, whatever. They added that. And the rest is history. You know, Janie Lane, Janie Lane later said, oh, I'm the Cherry Pie guy. Cherry Pie this. Unfortunate. <laughs> but back to Doggy Dog, as great as Cherry Pie was. Doggy Dog was the next leap forward. It was a heavy record, unbelievable songwriting, deep songwriting. Um, it dealt with addiction. It dealt with love. It dealt with betrayal. Um, like I said, it, it was heavy, but yet still melodic. Still sounded like Warrant, but still didn't sound like Warrant. Definitely pick it up, guys. Warrant, Doggy Dog, 1992, their third album. Last album with the original lineup, because then uh, obviously... Um, Stephen Sweet and Joey Allen left. They released Ultraphobic with new players. And they had their uh, Warrant 96 album with new players. And then they've had subsequent albums since uh, with other singers. Um, the guy from Black and Blue, his name's slipping my mind right now. He was on their one album. And then they have a couple albums since then, which again, I'm, uh, Robert Mason sings on their last two albums. They have Rockaholic, um, and the other one, I'm drawing a blank. But so, Doggy Dog, last album with the original lineup. Check it out. Um, good pick, Jay. I just had to add that because I'm so passionate about that album. That's okay. That's <laughs> why I pick it. I, I love the passion. I mean, I think the people, you know, our fans are going to love it, you know? Yeah, awesome. Awesome. So, I know you had a couple other things you wanted to talk about music wise. Yeah. I, well, I didn't know if you had a chance to uh, hear the new Striper track. Uh, I have not. I know you sent it to me. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. I just had a crazy week. And I, I was listening to other stuff, and I'll be honest with you, albums, I'm, these two albums, I am obviously know them like the back of my hand, but I've been jamming them all week, because here comes a little shameless plug. We have our other podcast coming out on July 6th, and the gavel will rock, where we're going to have our inaugural courtroom battle, where we're going to be de debating Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi versus Bon Jovi's other iconic album, New Jersey. So to answer your question, I've been cranking Slippery When Wet in New Jersey a lot this week just to kind of get myself in a headspace of Bon Jovi and those two albums. So I will listen to the striper. I haven't had a chance yet, but obviously you have. Tell me about it, dude. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it's kick ass. I mean, the, the thing with striper that's, that that's amazing to me is that they've actually gotten better with age. I mean, where, where most of these, uh, you know, bands from that time period, glam, you know, pretty much are either, you know, non-existent or, you know, you know, we have a few of them, obviously Motley Crue is coming back, but, you, you you get what I'm trying to say. Most of these bands, you know, they're nowhere to be found or they don't sound near as good. And oh, yeah, I, that, I, honestly, I, Striper, much sweet sounds better. 
Yeah. And the band sounds better. Like if you take the album, like I said, their 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 recent release, Goddamn Evil, from 2018, that was their best record ever. I mean, I I, I don't know if you listened to the whole you know album, but I have know, not. I have not, admittedly. Well, it is it's phenomenal, and you know everything that they're saying is that this record's going to be even better than that. And if that's the case, that's just, like I said, they, they just keep one-upping themselves. And- yeah, well, I, and to be fair, I'm, when I say I haven't listened to the whole album, is not to say that I haven't checked the, their recent stuff out, because that's not true. And I'm going to have to concur with Jay. Striper sounds as good as they ever have. Uh, right. Michael Sweet's vocals are unmatched, unmatched. Um, that cover album they put out a few years ago was unbelievable. I know yeah, that's covering. not current, current, but... Just to give an example of how great they sound, check out their cover of Boston. Um, which Boston song did it do again, Jay? Uh, you know what? I can't think of it. I, I'm drawing a blank, too. But they, they, they did a lot of great covers on that album. They sound amazing. Well, I, I've heard some of their newer material. And I will check out the new single. What's the name of the new single, Jay? Well, the, well, the name of the new single is uh, Blood From Above. And it, it's off the upcoming album, which is called Even the Devil Believes. And you, you got to check out the uh, the album cover for that too. Another, another I will, awesome I album cover. Cool. So awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and the only other uh, thing I, I wanted to cover, uh, you know, every every day we we post stuff on our page, and uh, we've been, you know, not to, not to stay on the album uh, the album uh, discussion, but um, you know, every day, you know, pretty much not admit, you know, hit or miss. We uh, post bands that, you know, have let, you know, put out an album on this date. So today's uh, album was uh, Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer album, which was released on this date in 1992. And uh, I was just wondering what your favorite track off that record is, because I know what mine is. Well, I could tell you this. I think my favorite track off of Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer album is Time Machine. Uh, but I actually prefer the Wayne's World version. It's a slightly different recording. So I know it's on the, the Humanizer album, but if you could check out the Wayne's World version from the Wayne's World soundtrack, I prefer that. So if I'm going to go with the album version of Time Machine, I'm probably going to pick I as my favorite song on the album. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, so. but if you get the bonus edition of the album, the U.S. edition bonus track, Time Machine Wayne's World version is on it. Uh, it's eight seconds longer, but it's just it's produced a little bit differently. The mix is a little different. I just prefer it. So, um, yeah, that that's what I think. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely, uh, I is my favorite. Yeah, excellent tune. So that's another great album to check out, everybody. Black Sabbath's 1992 album, Dehumanizer. Uh, there was one thing I wanted to touch on that we kind of missed in the first half of the show, Jay. I don't know if you saw today. The minor league baseball season was uh, canceled. Um, I can't say that we're surprised, but I just wanted to bring that up. I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, thousands of minor leaguers are out of work and they're not going to play this year. That's one aspect of the fallout. But here's another interesting aspect of that fallout. Um, Teams are going to have a 60-man roster. Basically, they're going to have a 30-man active roster in this 60-game shortened season. But they have um, like a taxi squad, which I think is another 30 players are included. And teams are including a lot of their top prospects, including guys they just drafted this year. Some as young as 18 years old. So I I wanted to just touch on it in the first half and I kind of forgot. 
But I think that's a real interesting aspect of the fallout of this. You could have guys that would have never otherwise been called up to the big leagues right now actually called up in this shortened season. Guys that were just drafted last month. I thought that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny that you say that, you know, because, you know, it's like 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 last week we said what is going to become these of these leagues i mean you know this is the first step you know the minor leagues are canceled but i just don't think it looks good that's just But what do you think of what i said though i mean isn't it kind of an interesting aspect that you could have these top prospects actually called up when they might have otherwise been in the minors for a few years before they even got a cup of coffee well that's... yeah it's going to change i think every aspect of every sport is changing yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But I, I, at the same time, another thing it made me realize is what these minor leaguers go through because it was obviously the um, teams were playing their minor leaguers during this situation, $400 a week. And then uh, a lot of teams have stopped paying them or are about to stop paying them. Some have extended it through July. Um, but the point being is I'm just thinking, imagine being a minor league ball player making possibly as low as $400 a week and some of these guys toil around in the minor leagues for years and then making $400 a week, traveling on cramped, bumpy bus rides in middle of nowhere in the south when it's 95 degrees with 100% humidity all through the summer. And they do it year after year with the hopes of a tree, achieving a dream and they never give up on the dream. That was just another thing I took away. I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but just when I was reading about the minor league season being canceled, it just certain things hit me. One was the aspect of prospects that were just drafted might be called up because teams obviously had to protect their top prospects. So with minor league season being canceled, all the middle tier, lower tier prospects basically are out of work. The teams have to protect those higher level ones. So they're going to be on the taxi squad. So you could have guys that were just drafted called up to the big leagues. I think that's one interesting fallout. The other interesting fallout is these guys that are not going to be working. Will they be able to play in any independent leagues? We don't know. And then, like I said, the third thing, it just got me thinking about never giving up on your dream. And maybe that's a, you know, a theme of this, uh, this show this week, never give up on your dreams. I mean, Colin Kaepernick, he has a dream about equality and he's stuck by his guns. He's blackballed from the NFL. Ian Desmond making a big decision this week and not just making a decision to not play, but speaking up about it. And now I'm thinking about minor league players that spend many years fighting for their dream. And we're talking about, Bands like Warrant, who were shunned by the record company when Grunge took over, but they never stopped putting music out. Striper, like you said, sounds better than ever. So maybe that's a little theme we could take from this week's show. Never give up on your dreams. <laughs> that's freaking awesome. Yeah, little glass half full way to end it, man. But uh, I don't know, man. Great show. Uh, you have anything to add before we go? I know you want to mention again about the Gavel Will Rock. Uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited about this pro- uh, program and. Uh... I think it's definitely going to be uh, kick ass, and uh, we, you know, we have a guest lined up. So, yeah, I think it's going to yeah. Be, why uh, don't you tell everybody about our guest? Who's our guest? Yeah, oh. we actually, uh, we actually uh, going to have Kevin Law. He's uh, from Philly Rock Radio, and uh, he's he's going to be our uh, guest uh, judge mediator. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be the moderator and the judge, and it's going to be me, Aaron Savage. I'm going to be defending Bon Jovi's New Jersey album against Jason Voorhees, who's going to be defending and representing Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet album. Now, I'll be the first to say these are two great records. It's like choosing your favorite child. But one album has to stand on top in this courtroom. And, Jay, it's going to be New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. We shall see, right? 
So that's something else to look forward to, guys. That's going to release on July 6th. Um, this episode's going to drop on Thursday at 6 p.m. As every week's episodes of Sports and Metal Podcast, Thursdays at 6 p.m., the new episodes drop. So keep listening, guys. Uh, we love and, re- and we're so happy that you guys are enjoying the show. We want you to continue to listen. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Jay, tell them how people can reach out to us. Well, we, uh, we have many platforms to reach us on. You can hit us up on Facebook uh, at Sports and Metal, uh, or you can email us at sportsandmetal0423 at yahoo.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports and Metal. Awesome. So, great show, Jay. Uh, we look forward to everybody listening to us week after week. And, Jay, I look forward to doing this again next week. And I also look forward to recording in the Gavel Will Rock. I believe we're recording that tomorrow. That's going to drop this Friday. So, I'll talk to you soon, Jay. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Hell yeah. Rock on, everybody. All right. Peace out. And that's our show. Tune in next time for more Sports and Metal. With Jason Voorhees and Aaron Savage. Got something to say? Hit us up at sportsandmetal0423 at yahoo.com or on Twitter at sportsandmetal.